You are listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope you are encouraged by this today. For more information about our weekly services or messy church, you can find us at haddingtonelamchurch.com. Pentecostalism emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit and the direct experience of the presence of God by the believer. And so we're Elam Pentecostal, and that's taken uh, from the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And I shared this last week, it'll be on the screen, but this is Elam's foundational truth or doctrinal stance on the Holy Spirit. We believe in the deity of the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son and the necessity of his work in conviction of sin, repentance, regeneration, and sanctification. And that the believer is also promised an endowment of power as the gift of Christ through the baptism in the Holy Spirit with signs following. Through this endowment, the believer is empowered for fuller participation in the ministry of the church, its worship, evangelism, and service. And so I will say, if you didn't know, we believe in the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church today. So our position is not that it ended with the original first century apostles that God is still moving today. This was prophesied in Joel. These scriptures will be on the screen if you are taking notes. We're gonna be looking at Joel chapter two, verses 28 and 29. And it says, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And that's why I ask God for visions and not for dreams. I don't wanna fall into the category of the old men. Your young men will see visions, even on the male and female servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that's Joel 2, 28, 29. And in Acts 1, 3, it says, To these he also presented himself alive. We talked about this last week. After his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We talked about that last week, the promise of the Father. Jesus told them to wait. He commanded them to wait. He didn't suggest that they wait. He commanded them to wait. He told them, stay in this city until you're clothed with power. And I love that it takes, sometimes it's the littler things that are in there. He showed, it's as many convincing proofs to them over 40 days. Over 500 people saw him alive. Faith in his resurrection was important to the church because their own spiritual power depended on it. Also, the message of the gospel involves the truth of the resurrection. And if Jesus were dead, the church would be too. See, it'd be hard to talk about something if it wasn't true. I know that there are people who could probably tell a lie and continue to do it. Many are in politics. (laughs) They can perpetuate a lie again and again and tell you like it's truth. But if Jesus had not risen from the dead, there's no way in what they faced, the persecution at, at at the very peril of their lives, that they would have stayed true if it wasn't a fact that he rose from the dead. Remember, the official position of the Jewish Jewish leaders was that they had stolen his body from the tomb. His followers had to be able to refute this as they witnessed to the nation. See, that's why our testimony is so important. 
our personal testimony. You know, when they were asking the blind man, he said, I don't know what happened. I know I was once blind, but now I see. We need to know our testimony because we can say to someone with certainty, I was that way. I was an alcoholic or I was whatever. And God changed my life. And I'm living proof of the testimony of the witness of the reality of Jesus. Only with convincing proof could they do this. They didn't have a death wish because in those days, claiming that someone rose from the dead would pretty much be a death wish. It would be an execution. But when they saw Jesus alive, they could boldly claim that the resurrection is real. If he didn't rise, they never would have been able to claim that he did. Do you remember that game we used to play sometimes, uh, Uncle, where someone would grab your arm and twist it until you would say, Uncle. It's like, these guys, if they were just making this stuff up, when they were threatened and the pressure was on, they would have said, yeah, you're right. We stole the body. We made this up. But they never flinched. They never flinched in spite of it all. They were chosen to be the special witnesses of Christ's resurrection. And that was the emphasis of their ministry. See, sometimes, friends, I think we overcomplicate a very simple thing that God wants us to do. And we rationalize it and we compartmentalize it. It's a matter of just being a witness. Most everyone in Jerusalem knew that Jesus had been crucified. Many had heard that this happened. They knew who he was or they heard of him. So they knew that he was crucified, but they did not know that he had been raised from the dead. By their words, their walk of faith, and their powerful deeds, these believers showed the world that Jesus was alive. This was the sign of Jonah that Jesus had mentioned his death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus also promised the coming of the Spirit. It would be that endowment of power. See, friends, a lot of times we're lacking the power. It's like keeping our phone for weeks, not ever plugging it in. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. They needed to be able to serve the Lord and accomplish His will, and they could not do this on their own. And many of us try to do this in our own strength, and we fail time and again. Here's three reasons why Jesus commanded them to wait. They did not know the immensity of their task. Jesus knew this. Jesus was like, I need you to have this power to do this. They did not know the immensity of their task. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, they never could have witnessed to others. We too have a big task. And like I said, you may feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit and you're on that bus or you're in the queue at Tesco and your heart starts beating because the Holy Spirit's like, I want you to say something to that person. And your heart's beating and so you just rationalize it. And I know that I've had many times, and I'll be honest, where after you don't, you know, you give in to fear. And then after you're just like, oh God, I, what if I missed an opportunity? What if I missed an opportunity? And God, will you forgive me for not taking the uh, chance to say what you've asked me to say? Number two, they didn't realize how difficult their task would be. Even when the Spirit fell, and we'll read about this or look at this uh, in Acts chapter 2, they were accused of being drunk. So the Spirit shows up and they're being accused of being drunk. The persecution would only get worse, which caused them to seek more of the Spirit's power. See, church, I think sometimes we just shrink back when the... Second thing is, if the persecution's coming, we should be pressing in even harder. The persecution came immediately. 
We need the fullness of the power of God today as they did then. The persecution is going to increase. It's going to get worse. We need to be pressing in all the more. And number three, they did not realize the length that the task would take. They thought that Jesus was about to set up the earthly kingdom just then. They thought this was it. We made it. Jesus has risen from the dead and that's us finished. And it's been now going on 2,000 years. But friends, for us, we need to stay at it. The Bible says to endure to the end. Persevere. See, the early church knew perseverance. They knew that they had to stay at it. The times and seasons belong to God. Remember, they were like, is this the time, Jesus, that you're going to restore the kingdom? And he said, the times and epochs are in God's hands. You do what I've asked you to do. We get so caught up in times and dates. They belong to God. We're called to be faithful to the end. Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will I find faith on the earth? We're called to be faithful. That's what he's called us to do. Acts 1.8, we looked at it last week. It's a key verse. To begin with, it explains that the power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit and not from man. See, remember, Peter was the one who denied the Lord three times. These guys were timid. In fact, if you find them, they're in the upper room with the doors locked because they were afraid that they were going to be arrested. But Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And it says in Zechariah, and he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Ordinary people were able to do extraordinary things because the spirit of God was at work in their lives. See, these guys, most of them were fishermen. Warren Wearsby says this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It is an absolute necessity. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead in, at work in our lives. Witness is a key word in the book of Acts, and it's used 29 times as either a verb or a noun. A witness is somebody who tells what they've seen and heard. See, again, this is simply what God is asking us to do, but we complicate it. He's asking us to be a witness. When you're on the witness stand in court, the judge is not interested in your thoughts or opinions. They only want to hear what you've seen and heard. Everything else they say is hearsay. You can't testify to something else. What you testify to is what you saw or heard personally our English word martyr comes from the Greek word translated witness. And many of God's people have sealed their witness by laying down their lives. Acts 1.8 also gives us the general outline of the book of Acts as it describes the geographical spread of the gospel. Acts chapters 1 through 7 talk about Jerusalem and God doing his work in Jerusalem. And then 8 and 9 talks about Judea and Samaria. And then Acts chapter 10 through 28 goes to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. No matter where we live as Christians, we should begin our witness at home and extend it into all the world. Sometimes it's the hardest at home. Sometimes it's the hardest even in our own households with our families. 
In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And we've been there. And it's high up. The Mount of Olives has this big Kidron Valley that goes through. And then you go back up to Jerusalem. They're there across the way. And they go back. And it says, When they entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying at. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. See, this chapter 2 in Acts is also not only Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming, it's the birth of the church. Prayer plays a significant role in the Birth of the church is recorded in Acts. They prayed together for guidance in making decisions and for courage to witness for Christ. Prayer was a normal part of their daily lives. Stephen, the first martyr, prayed as he was being stoned. Peter and John prayed for the Samaritans, and Saul of Tarsus prayed after his conversion. Peter prayed before he raised Dorcas from the dead. Cornelius prayed that God would show him how to be saved. And Peter was on the housetop praying when God told him how to be an answer to Cornelius' prayer. The believers in John's house prayed for Peter when he was in prison, and the Lord delivered him from prison and from death. The church at Antioch fasted and prayed before they sent out Barnabas and Paul. It was at a prayer meeting in Philippi that God opened Lydia's heart, and another prayer meeting in Philippi that opened prison doors. Paul prayed for his friends before leaving them. In the middle of a storm, he prayed for God's blessing. And after a storm, he prayed that God would heal a sick man. If you look through the book of Acts, which I would encourage you to read through the book of Acts, you will find a reference to prayer in almost every chapter, every passage. And the book makes it clear that something happens, friends, when God's people pray. And I think that's one of the things why the church today, the capital C Universal Church of Christ, is not as powerful or as effective because they're not praying. We need to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Something happens when we pray. And so friends, I would encourage you wherever you live, pray for your neighbors, pray for your neighborhood, pray for this community here. This is certainly a good lesson for our church today. Prayer is both the thermometer and the thermostat of the local church for the spiritual temperature either goes up or down depending on how God's people pray John Bunyan maybe some of you have read through Pilgrim's Progress said this prayer is a shield to the soul a sacrifice to God and a scourge to Satan that guy knew something about prayer in Acts, you see prayer accomplishing all of these things. It protected them. It was a shield to them. It was a sacrifice to God because their very lives were at risk and a scourge to Satan because everywhere that they went, something happened, whether it was them throwing the books, the magic books or the occultic books in the fire, them taking uh, and losing their monies from them idols of Diana, it was a scourge to Satan, and that's why the persecution was so strong. Jesus was no longer with them to give personal directions. 
but they were not without his leading. See, we may not have him physically show us which way to go, but the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit is with us. They had the word of God in prayer. In fact, the word of God in prayer formed the foundation of the early church, the ministry of their church. And sometimes people ask me, like, why do you still preach out of the Old Testament? You know, isn't that all fulfilled in Jesus? I love the Old Testament. The only Bible that the early church had was the Old Testament. And yet they were able to use it to discover the will of God. We need both the Old and the New. In fact, New Testament writers often quote from the Old Testament. All of it is inspired by God and written by the Holy Spirit as he moved among the writers, the men. In fact, St. Augustine said this. Many of you may have heard this. The new is in the old concealed. The old is by the new revealed. I love that. I love that. Don't think that God no longer speaks to his people through the Old Testament scriptures. In Timothy, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Jesus even said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we use scripture to interpret scripture. What is important is that we follow the example of the early church by emphasizing the word of God in prayer. See, sometimes we think we elevate one thing over another. One thing that I love uh, here, I was just showing my brother, we went to St. Giles Cathedral. Here the lecterns are, are usually up. And when we first came, I had never seen that before. And I remember asking someone, you know, what that's about. And they said it was the elevation of the word. That when they would read from the word, it would be elevated because it gave that credence or that, that lift to the word of God. We need that balance, the word of God in prayer, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. But note, too, that not all the followers were in the upper room because on the day of Pentecost, it says 120 were present, but 500 people saw him alive. What happened to the 380 they didn't seem to wait on the Lord. Remember, he didn't suggest this. He commanded that they wait. Maybe they were upset because they thought he was going to restore the kingdom. That's why a lot of people may have gone by the wayside because they wanted Jesus to be this Barabbas, this one that would take over. But the 120 believers that were gathered, although a minority, they turned their world upside down for Christ. Have you ever thought about that? The Peter who said that he didn't know him to the little servant girl while he warmed himself with the fire. This Peter who denied him. We'll see in Acts, if you read further on in chapter 2, he stands up and addresses a crowd and 3,000 people come to faith. The same Peter, because something happened. What was the secret of this early church? The power of the Holy Spirit. What's the secret of the church today? The same power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is it, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll be closing soon. And Jesus told them to wait 50 days after Passover. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Friends, unity matters. To be in one heart and one mind in agreement matters. There's, but they were all together in one place, and suddenly... There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were some, some if they were lucky, some if they put money in the offering plate, it says no, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Friends, this was what changed their lives and can change our lives too. The power of the Holy Spirit. These, this infilling was the power from on high that Jesus talked about for service and witness. It wasn't to be a weirdo. It was for service, power for service and witness. I remember a pastor friend of mine said that people were so afraid of the Holy Spirit, they thought they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they would go up to the food vendor to just order some food and then begin to speak. And they were just so afraid. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. The power was for service and witness. And friends, those are things that we need today. We need to be in service to God and we need to be witnesses for him. This that they received was what the Father promised Christianity is a missionary faith. This isn't something that we hear and keep to ourselves. It's a missionary faith. The whole purpose is out. The very nature of God demands this. For God is love. And it says that God is not willing that any should perish. Jesus' death on the cross was for the whole world. If we are the children of God and we share his nature, then we will want to tell the good news to a lost world. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to do this. And friends, this was the pattern of the New Testament church. People would get filled with the Holy Spirit and it just kept spreading. And the more persecution came, the more it spread. And like I said, at the end, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not just good. You know, Mike, you did good. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You endured to the end. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.